Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Bondi. And so today I'm talking with Leslie Jordan Garcia. Her, uh, her IG handle is at eatfree.livefierce. And I have to say, I have been stalking her, if you will. We've had a mutual ad- admiration society going on. So I've been following her on Instagram and wanting so much to have her on the podcast and to support her work because we have to elevate those voices that have been historically excluded from wellness spaces. Uh, So Leslie is a wellness entrepreneur who works with individuals and organizations to unlearn ineffective thought and behavior patterns. So we're going to get into it with Leslie. So let's get started on the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. Leslie Jordan Garcia, wellness to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. I feel like we've been friends for a while, even though we are meeting for the first time today, right here on the podcast. You and I have been interacting on Instagram for quite some time. And then I was like, kind of like creeping you on Instagram. Is that what the kids say? Uh, Creeping you on Instagram. And then I saw that you were a wellness coach talking about... uh, uh, food freedom, also talking about our own cultural foods as part of our wellness. And this has been something that has been super new to me in the past year. As a person who has, uh, you know, suffered with an eating disorder for about 30 years, I'm on the other side of it, but I spent 30 years nutrient and eating disorder in conventional treatment programs, which is very whitewashed because they, what I found really odd about eating disorder treatment is they put you on a diet and then they put you on a diet of foods that I'm not eating at my house. We are not eating whatever this is at my house. And then I would bring um, my, you know, my meal plan home to my mother and she'd be like, okay, I guess we're going to have to go grocery shopping because we don't have these foods in our house because we eat from our cultural background. We don't, you know, I was the kid at school with the stinky lunch that I, you know, that my kids now appreciate. Like when I put jerk chicken, peas and rice and stuff in their lunch, my kids are like, everybody at lunch wants to know what I'm eating. Whereas when I was growing up, nobody at lunch wanted to know what I was eating. So I'm grateful that you're in this space. Thank you for having me. And what you say is so true. I feel like I started the stalking relationship um, that we have shared at first, just through through my own (laughs) yoga journey and looking for bodies that look like mine. And of course, as you know, you are kicking much bootay in that space. And so it was nice. I mean, representation matters. I'm not going to go into that. You know that to be true. And just a big, beautiful Black woman in these spaces was pivotal for me and for so many other women. So I appreciate you stepping on. Yes. And I start creeping in your inbox and commenting like, just and then that, that conversation grew out of that. And so yes, I am a holistic wellness coach and I do also, you know, fo- kind of parallel your experience. You know, I am a former world class yo yo dieter, right? I spent over twenty years, you know, yeah, eating and yo yo yeah, yeah. dieting. Mm-hmm. Um and for me it was teetering between what was culturally acceptable or culturally beautiful. You know, curves are not as frowned upon in Black American culture, um, but as Blacks assimilate more to Eurocentric values, right? We're seeing that happen less and less, like increasingly want to be thin. And now you have those conversations about no waist, but a big booty and all these 
extra things being added to your body and shifted. Yeah, I know it's crazy. And once you like, like the both of us are on the other side, right? You can look and just think, wow, all mm-hmm. the years. And for me, sometimes I get angry with the money I've wasted. Like not just the time of enjoyment, but the money. Yeah, 100%. So yes, I do coach yeah. to food freedom. And I mean that in every sense of the word. I mean, freedom from the food rules, but also freedom to enjoy your cultural foods. Um, I think that's a big piece. And I'm glad to see that there's others speaking out on that. And there are lots of other people that are speaking to that. But for me, it's also a form of activism to assert that my cultural foods are healthy. I'm tired of the vernacular about mm, yes. the way you cook it isn't healthy. Like, And when did this rise of kale happen? Like kale and collard greens have the exact same nutrient <laughs> value, but they'll tell us it's the way that we cook our collard greens. No, our collard greens are flavorful. And mm-hmm. yes, my children grew up with the stinky box and my daughter my oldest one's 21 and she was that same way everybody including the teachers would stand over her shoulder to see what leftovers she was bringing for lunch because i did not play with her i didn't i tried to undo all the things and you know give her tools that i didn't have access to and um yeah and so and so it's really important it's funny i'm like kale y'all put all those seeds and fats and oils and in your kale and but that's healthier and I just think, no, it's actually not. And our foods are not unhealthy, but we believe them because of the white body, white culture supremacy and the demonization of anything that's not yeah. that. So it's true. And it's been a huge learning moment for me um, because tell me peas and rice are not like the, like a hearty thing. And it's, it's interesting because white culture will steal um, foods from our culture, change them ever so slightly, and then tell, uh, tell us they created them and tell us that somehow the changes that they made to our cultural foods have made them better for everybody. And I'm tired of this, like, minority speaking to the global ethnic majority saying that we have to eat these foods and that um that somehow we live an unhealthy lifestyle i didn't get into it but somebody was like um on my facebook page or sorry on my instagram i know i spend a lot of time on facebook trying to argue with me that black food is unhealthy a black person who has been fully um conditioned fully um you know buys into that internalized oppression yeah Exactly. Uh, that internalized oppression that our foods are not, are not good, are not good enough. And you're right. Kale and collard greens have the same nutrients. And let me tell you something about kale. If you put a little bit of coconut oil on kale, it'll slide right off your plate into the garbage. And so you know, and it's tough. Like, I'm, <laughs> and I'm also tired of these white recipes of collard greens that are simmered for 20 minutes. That's a tough collard green. I don't want that. I want my collard greens chewable. And I can, I have have to say, I have can eat them less, you know, cooked than I have formerly eaten them. But I, 20 minute collard greens are undercooked collard greens. And I don't care how you massage them down. Exactly. Them kale leaves. It's tough. You know, I don't care what you do. The other day I was at Whole Foods, no line. They had a recipe for, on the hot bar, like on the buffet bar, like the self-serve hot food bar. They had a recipe of mm-hmm. collard greens, mm-hmm. girl, cooked with damn apple slices. And I was just like, why? Collard greens what? and apples yeah. together. And I was just like, you know, just because y'all combine it and put it at Whole Foods don't actually mean it tastes good. 
Um, <laughs> like it's not exactly. a combo. Exactly. No thanks. <laughs> I like that. No thanks. I'll pass. It's gonna be a no for me. Smoke turkey wing and some of these collard greens in this insta pot, <laughs> and come up with something that I'm gonna put some cornbread with it. Whenever whatever it come out with, it's gonna have that support and hot sauce like. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, as a as a person from the Caribbean, I feel like hot sauce is a food group for us. Like, you know what I mean? I beige yes. and hot sauce. And if if it's not a, it, sriracha is fine. Right. I got nothing against sriracha, but it ain't it ain't hot right. sauce. And like you're I know exactly hot right. Sauce. It is a food group. We have different consistencies of hot sauces. Different hot sauces have different flavor profiles and different purposes. You don't just put you know Scotch bonnet on eggs. Maybe Tibetan. You know you have. You, they all have a purpose, right? Yeah. So that's my husband's, who's Honduran. So he's like, yeah, no, we need three yeah. more hot sauces and then we'll have a, I'm like, exactly, babe. We only have nine. You're exactly right. Yeah. Right. You know, and it's it's just like, we have like a cabinet of that and we have a Bayesian hot pepper sauce and then yes. Jamaicans have their hot pepper sauce and it's different from country yes. to country and region to region. And the way we prepare foods are different from country to country and region to region. One thing I did learn about in my quest to be more culturally, culturally aware of where my foods come from is most of us who were part of the transatlantic slave trade came from yes. the, uh, you know, the West coast of Africa. So there's a lot of foods that are similar in black American culture, un-Caribbean and Caribbean culture in African culture that are very similar dishes, but are called different things because when we were enslaved, we had to do, we had to make our foods with what was available to us around us. So we had to yeah. substitute things out in order to have a connection to our homeland. And I was re recently reading about sorrel. Do you drink sorrel? Please, are, you, no. are you familiar with? I buy the gallons in my house. So of course, you know, my husband, who is from Honduras, but he's on that coast. He's very African. He looks like an African. Most black people in America mm. mistake him for African. I call him the African because he's a right, Latino right. mindset, but he's of <laughs> African heritage. So that he's Garifuna's with that that population is called there. And uh, yeah, okay, so okay. in our house, Sorrel, and I remember I asked him about Sorrel and he was like, what? And then I showed him and he was like, oh, Jamaica, like, that is very much the same thing. Exactly. We're, and we live, oh yeah, all day. Yeah. My mother made it all the time. All it was the on time. the stove all the time. And I would, all the time. And I was um, watching a food fact. He's on I my know Instagram. Exactly what you're talking about. I, I love him. Right? And he was talking. I love him. And he was talking about how uh, maybe African-Americans propensity, and I would say just black people's propensity to red drinks is a throwback to that cultural reference of drinking hibiscus tea and very recently i'm starting to see hibiscus infused water and hibiscus infused that and the other thing and i feel like saying you know what we did it first like we have been drinking sorrel tea which is hibiscus flowers and the hibiscus flower i'm just shout out to barbados <laughs> up what up bim um <laughs> that's our natural that's our national flower is the hibiscus because it has a strength and a, and a connection back to our roots on the uh you know uh in in africa in western in the western part of africa and it's amazing to me to see how our culture influences just about everything and as a like as a Canadian, I feel like my African American friends or my family yeah. were just displaced. Like it's wherever the transatlantic slave ship yeah. dropped you yeah. off, 
right? Dropped our enslaved African ancestors off. Maybe you were in South uh, Carolina. Maybe you wound up in Jamaica. Maybe because we're all part of that transatlantic slave trade. And it wasn't like they kept cultures together. It wasn't like they kept families together. So I feel like we are all interwoven because we're people Correct. of the and when you right? And it's so funny when you talk about, and not only do they love what we have to offer, they take it and like you exactly said, they claim it. Just think about all the prints of from Hawaii, for example, that are based on the yeah. hibiscus flower, yeah. the lays, the, the traditional, yeah. what we consider in a you know, Western culture to be con- traditional Hawaiian shirts and prints. That's all hibiscus flower. And it all came from Western Africa. And it's amazing because even in other parts of Africa, like Eastern Africa, um, even like in Egypt, Mm -hmm. blends of hibiscus and mint are very common. Um, In my house, you know, uh, we, I just, yeah, maybe it is. Because I don't like big red, like some of the Americanized, like red. I just, I don't. But boy, you put that, my kids, if anywhere, you put a red, red drink. That's what they're asking. My daughters are, is that agua fresca? Like, because in Texas where I am, that's our closest relationship. Like yeah. if we're not in an African food store, we're right. in a Latin food store. And so that's the first thing they see that red is purple and they get excited. Like, is that watermelon or is it hibiscus, you know, Jamaica? And we'll take either one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, exactly. So, yes, exactly. Ve- very much so. It's so funny when you mentioned peas and rice and I have spent some time in the Caribbean and I, um, know what you're mm-hmm. talking about but it's so funny because here in america your vegans will tell you in a minute of complete protein dishes beans and rice like it's, it's like they know it's good yeah like we don't know <laughs> you know what I'm saying? they know it's good right and 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 then i saw a post yeah. of a lady i think we both follow her um and i can't i'm not gonna remember her instagram handle but she's a nutritionist a registered dietitian and she also talks a lot about that and mm-hmm. sometimes you'll see posts and she made one the other day and it had like smothered chicken from, you know, Southern part of America, black culture. And then she had jerk chicken. And then she had, yeah. you know, some other chickens from other parts of the world. And then at the end, she has white American baked chicken. And I was, and I commented, how sad is that baked chicken look or against all chicken. them other chickens? Like, <laughs> right. Right. Or baked with no chicken. skin on it. And it, it's just white. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, no, no, season, no gravy. Right. Nothing. But and so, you know, here in the South, and I've basically lived out my life, adult life. I grew up in Oklahoma, which is Midwest to Southern tendencies. We're like kind of mm-hmm. middle. Yeah, yeah, it's got a Southern bit. flavor. Um, and now I live in Texas. Yeah. And it's amazing. I've traveled and lived extensively when I was in the Army in Tennessee and Georgia. So, so I've gotten a really healthy dose of Southern culture. And it's, I've always found something very interesting yeah. is that when old white people are sick, they always reach out to that uh-huh. one black person who can uh-huh. bring them a plate of what they call soul food. And they've even tried to whiten that up by yes. calling it comfort food or Southern food, but it is Southern, it is soul uh-huh. food. And when they're sick, our food, the way we cook it somehow fortifies their mind, uh-huh. body, and soul, but it's killing us. And uh-huh. I <laughs> right, I, exactly. Like, you can't have it both exactly. Ways. Exactly. And for me, the conversation exactly. really stems towards those other factors that really are killing us, like the stress of racism. Let's let's talk about how that physiologically changes your cellular makeup in your body and is epigenetic. It changes the expression of your genes, like that high level mm-hmm. of stress and all the chemicals, cortisol that go with it, adrenaline all the time coursing through your body. Mm-hmm 
That is what's killing us. <laughs> That's what's killing it. Not that that is what's killing us. And I've been saying, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this mother chicken is helping us had. deal We're with all to that trying, stress. Trying to find exactly. Exactly. I remember back in 2016, uh, right after uh, Christmas, something came on the news, NBC, ABC, some news show, and I was sitting with my mother and it had said that um, the people who suffer most with heart disease are uh, women of African descent. Woo, big surprise. Um, and that we had, uh, you know, incidents of uh, heart disease in the rate of about 85%. I'm like, woo big surprise nothing is more stressful than being a black mom and worrying about your children working out going out into the world where you can't protect them right nothing's more um worrisome than being a black woman and having the burden of the world placed on your shoulders to you know to take care of everybody all the time you know right back to that that right back to you know back to our our entire enslavement where we had the mammy complex and we've really been conditioned as black women to look out for everybody to take care of for of everybody to put ourselves last in lots of situations and i always watch in news stories i always watch out in the world who's the first person to step up to help and nine times out of ten it's a black woman or a black person when something's going sideways and it's a mixed group of people it seems to me it's always the black first person that will put themselves in harm's way because we have been trained i'm gonna go one better i'm gonna this say years... black woman. i'm gonna say yeah, it's a fat black woman that steps up first so yes. <laughs> when you want to talk about that mammy complex let's go Agreed. all the way to the to the you know to the nitty to the, uh, the gritty right to the root. <laughs> Look at Stacey. Get to the root. Nothing's wrong with me. Okay. I was okay. just going to say. Come I on. was just going to say. is more, I don't, to me, nothing says strength like a meaty, sturdy black woman. And I know that from our own family, but our society knows that. Like, they know that, but then, you know, on the other hand, how they want to treat us. And it's just that's who comes to the rescue. Like you're exactly right. And we're so conditioned to put ourselves like dead last. <laughs> so yeah. And that, that dead last translates to heart disease, to, to elevated stress, uh, to high blood pressure, to high cholesterol, to early death. And one of the things that, All of you things. know, I'll tap back when you were talking about black women were worried but we start wearing from the fact from the time we're pregnant because in Texas we have the black mm -hmm. the highest black woman childbirth mortality rate in the country. Wow! And we're like number four in the, in the world, state of Texas in alone. So it's world. like black. We are concerned wow. with are we going to make it out of the labor room first? And now, yeah. thankfully, there are yeah. studies that show what stress does to your body during pregnancy and why it can result in low birth weight, uh, more cases of eclampsia and mm -hmm. preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, because your cells are being changed mm -hmm. by those chemicals that are reacting to your constant stress. You know, adrenaline is designed yeah. to do its purpose and then fully dissipate from your body in about 20 minutes. When you don't mm -hmm. know where your next micro or major <laughs> aggression is coming from, but you yeah. know that you can't let your guard yeah. down, you have ever, ever, you have adrenaline in your body all of the time. Absolutely. You are always, always on high alert where you're by yourself or with you're with your family and you just don't know where it's going to come from. And the scary thing is it can come from yes. somebody you love and you know yes. in your family. 
um, or in your close friend group, or it can come from an outside resource, which is terrifying. And I kind of feel like the world right now, um, we're in Black History Month right now in February uh, 2022, whenever you're listening to this podcast, the world seems to be a pressure cooker right now. Like there's so many divisions and I know the Americans are coming up on their midterm elections, which will have startling consequences for a lot of folks. And so how can you not be constantly stressed? And we know that stress is trauma and that it leaves a chemical imprint on your DNA. There is facts and figures and studies and peer reviewed studies. These are things that we know. And can you imagine for those of you who might not be walking around in the racialized identity of blackness, can you imagine what it'd be like to constantly be on high alert, to constantly be worrying about your children? If your car breaks down, who's going to roll up to help you? Like just the pre, you know, the, the prejudgments people make about you based on your skin, uh, your skin um, color or your hair texture. You, I think people don't realize what it is to walk in the world. And the minute white folks are inconvenienced in any kind of way, they're so quick to start screaming about oppression when they don't really have a feeling of what it is to walk around with our identity in the world. Not only are we black women, we are plus size black women and we are outspoken black women. So we're often the (laughs) target. Yes, with locks. And we're often, yeah, we're often the target. We are often the target of people's um, ire, right? Or we're often like, you know, told to, to be quiet and there's nothing I hate more than, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I've seen the racialized comments and the bigotry that flows through the pages of people who are speaking up to our lived experience. And I just think, how is that playing an effect on our wellness overall? And I want to know what you do in your career to help women kind of find a place of peace for themselves. Cause it's rough out here. Man, it, it, it is rough, rough indeed. And you know, for me and my, from in my practice as um, a holistic coach, so I know uh, your awesome listeners will get a bio, but I also have a background my in political science. It's where I started my college career, and then when I went- <laughs> me too, you and I are like I'm sisters you, from another. Why, I did a degree in political science, with history, and blue tops. They won't see. Yeah. It. <laughs> I was just gonna say, both rocking our locks. They have no idea the level of connection, right? Um, but, and then I went and got my MBA in organizational leadership, looking at diverse leadership. And then I have an MPH, a master's of public health. And I looked specifically at community policies and how marginalized people were further marginalized in healthcare. So that's kind of how I segued into lots of healing for myself, but also into a wellness entrepreneur, right? So I do this full time. And what I do is I literally coach to the whole person because as you have so well articulated and people who are learning, everything's connected. Every I can't just eat better mm-hmm. if I'm not going to work on my emotional part of, you know, mm-hmm. even financial, I'm not, you, all of the dimensions of wellness are so intertwined within one person. And Mm -hmm. then they're also intertwined in our world. So, so for me, usually I come to people or they come to me with a food issue. And that is why I call myself the soul Mm. food coach, because immediately based on my own cultural experiences, the soul and food are connected. Like, I'm sorry, you're going to eat for Mm -hmm. enjoyment and you should eat for enjoyment. So I believe in that. 
Totally. So I, I start there. Yeah. I, I start, that's what I say. I nourish your, I teach women how to be empowered to listen to themselves and nourish their mind, body, and spirit, starting mm-hmm. with what goes in their belly. That's where we start. We get a healthy relationship mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. food and our attitudes around food. And a lot of times with food comes body image. So I do a lot of body image work. And like you mentioned, I'm an atypical body mm-hmm. in a very Eurocentric thin space. Um, so we work a lot on confidence and building just that true acceptance of yourself. Um, a lot of times I'm working in tandem with um, other specialists. A lot of times people need therapy for some of the trauma that they may have incurred, incurred in their past mm-hmm. or currently experiencing. But that is really where I start. We start with food and feeling good about how our bodies have served us thus far. And usually mm-hmm. that is where a huge life mm-hmm. and mindset shift. Once you just come to a, a place of acknowledgement, then you can tap deeper into your intuition and learn to trust your body again, learn to trust. And I think that's one of the biggest things that black women or women that's of color struggle one. with is trusting that our bodies will let us know when mm-hmm. danger is around. Let us, you know, let us care for our kids mm-hmm. and be intuitive about how we move and, you know, within a world that may not welcome us, that may you know, aggress towards us. Mm-hmm. Can we trust ourselves to do what it needs to do to survive, you know? Um, and then once we get mm-hmm. that foundation, mm-hmm. we look at all the other dimensions of your wellness, your emotional, psychological, your relationships, your social relationships, relationships, your intellectual dimension. How are you on your work? Do you learn? Do you do those things that pour into yourself? And so that those are the things that I really mm-hmm. work hard in my practice. So good relationships with food and your body and a I mean, daily self-care and daily self-care. I always tell people that first come to me, it's not a bath or a meal. Like we've got to get past <laughs> Like some days you feel like that's all yeah, you can do, but this, yeah, it, yeah. there's got to be one other thing that you can do. And I love acronyms. And so I always call it a kitty kit. You've got to have it, you know, the keeping it together. Thank you kit. Like this is what I need to do <laughs> for myself right now. And, <laughs> I love that. And that's yeah. Good. So we build I one of those that, that works that. for you. Uh, we have portable ones and we have w- good ones at home. But yes, you've got to start there. You've got mm-hmm. to be able to take care. And now, you know, that language is so prevalent. You know, you can't pour from empty cup. But yeah. I don't think a lot of times women really right. feel, and I think Black women especially struggle with the self esteem to know that you do need to do that. That it's, it's not just a, a mm-hmm. clever saying for the next, you know, round of drop ship t-shirts or coffee mugs like you really cannot take care of those right. people that you love and are quite honestly depending on you if you're not taking care of yourself big it's mama true. ain't helping nobody from the grave <laughs> true story that's 100 percent true and it's funny because as part of the intentional well-being podcast i spoke with a person that you probably already uh know and if you don't um she's in atlanta her name is Anana Harris Paris, and she's written a book. I don't have it here. Maybe I do. Okay, called Self Care Matters. And she talks about what you just mentioned. She calls it strategic self care. Yes. Here's a picture of her on the back. She is uh, yes. incredible. She's like, um, talks about a holistic guide to creating a self care plan, and she really focuses it 
at uh, Black Women and Women of Color, and she's got the Sister Care Alliance. She's done a, a bunch of amazing things, but you touched on something I had heard from her that keeps repeating in the theme when I talk to other Black women who are in the wellness space is that that self-care piece. And what um, Anana talks about is having your self-care dream team, which speaks a lot to the acronym that, that you met, met. So what is your self-care dream team? It's like, people that help you with your finances, people that help you raise your kids, people that are here to listen to you when you're stressed out. So maybe a therapist, because you and I know in the black community, there is lots of hesitancy to seek out um, mental health awareness and mental health um, counseling because, and, and the strange thing is, based on our historical um, presence, we are predisposed to certain mental health issues we are predisposed to that and we're seeing we just saw regina king's uh, son kill himself we just saw the former uh, miss usa kill herself just recently and we aren't talking enough about this in wellness spaces whether you're coming to see a counselor like you or whether you're you're moving out and seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist we need to make that kind of self-care where we're sitting with the therapist something that has the stigma removed from it in the black community. Cause you know, in the black community, the first thing they'll say is like, you need to go see your pastor. You need to go to church. And I don't have any problem with that. Go to church, see your pastor. But right. also or your therapy. pastors need to start understanding that they might need some additional resources or training. So I, I think that, yes, you know, pastors, you know, I think they have a lot of times, you know, their parishioners or, you know, church members. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, all they have. Best interest at heart. But there's nothing stopping them from becoming um, a peer coach or a peer counselor. Like, and I think right. that they need to be more aware of that. The, one of the things that I ha I find strikingly, you know, just disheartening sometimes. And so it's my mission to get out there and talk about it. It was when you talk about the things that naturally or, you know, we're predisposed to be plagued by in the black culture, but the black culture comes with honestly, this heavy generational trauma. And, and mm -hmm. I think hundreds of years ago, it was believed that if we kept our problems to ourselves, then white people would have less of a reason to continually dehumanize us. I honestly think that that's a self, yes, it was that's, a self defense yes. mechanism, but at this juncture, Agreed. you know, I think that, and so, so we want people that look like us. We want to be able to talk to a therapist that will just understand mm -hmm. some of the things that are either hard to express or, you know, just like, you know what mm -hmm. it's like, you know, I live in Macon, Georgia, like people mm -hmm. who will naturally kind of know some mm -hmm. of that cultural history. And so that you're able to, you know, totally. build rapport and have a conversation that doesn't seem so bad because the fact of the matter is black people get substandard care often. So a lot of these things, when you, yeah, for everything. for everything. So when you talk about healthcare, mental health, Americans get subpar mental health. So then black people are yes. even f further off yes. than that. And so I think that go finding people that they trust um, uh, is difficult because there just is so little representation. And the reason representation is little mm -hmm. is the barriers. I mean, the cost of medical school or the cost of extensive training totally. and education, those are the types of things mm -hmm. that are barriers. And so one of the things that I do and speak on, um, is how to help 
um, your black women and patients of color, your clients of color. And that's, those are what my talks usually are about for like eating disorder conferences about how to help black women, uh, Mm -hmm. black men, how to understand why we're predisposed, especially for yo-yo dieting or binge eating disorder. Um, Mm -hmm. why, and without further pathologizing Mm -hmm. that behavior. So those are some of the things that I speak, speak about, you know, in a learning capacity, because let's face it. I mean, all of the (laughs) therapeutic services, they are dominated by white bodies. So they have got to start learning how to advocate, recognize and treat, you know, people Mm -hmm. of a varied background. Absolutely. And I, I wish at the time that I was struggling with my eating disorder that I had someone like you to talk about, or I had seen somebody like you to talk, to talk about, um, you know, how hard it is to assimilate to a beauty standard that I was never The white people ain't going to do it. It didn't matter. <laughs> it's not never. We're just never. And, and it's all, we're not going to get it. Yes. And it's a moving target. The beauty yeah. standard is a moving target. So you're never going to get it no matter what you do, no matter how much plastic surgery or how much stuff you, you do, it's just never going to be for you. And when I was in um, eating disorder treatment, it was I was the only black person in eating disorder mm-hmm. treatment at the time. And I'm sure there are other black folks out there who were suffering with eating disorder, but we often thought it was a white thing that people suffered with. And I've been to enough eating disorder conferences. I've done enough keynote speech, speeches at eating disorder conferences. I look out and I see that everybody is white. There'll be three or 400 people at this conference and there'll be seven black people. And maybe four of them will be registered dietitians or two of them will be, you know, therapists or coaches. And I, that's, we need to get more people in the industry. And I'm really about highlighting because I want people to know about you. I want people to know about Lisa Folden. I want people to know about, girl, you know, Lisa. Anna Paris. I want people to know there's, <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's here with, she's interviewed for this month as well. I just want people to know that you're out there because how much, how much more, how much less could I have suffered if I could have spoke to somebody who knows about my lived experience? I just recently got a therapist and not only is she black, she's wow. from Barbados where I'm from. So there's, I know what are the chances I know. And I thought to myself, there's lots of shit. I don't need to explain to her. I almost feel like when you have a white therapist as a black person, yeah. you have to train them. Yeah. You're, you're not really there getting the full capacity of the treatment you need. Cause you're spending time them training them on how right. you walk Bringing through them up the to world. Speed. Right. Yeah. And that's not and all else to do. It's, it's another, pl- it's right. A hundred percent. And what are the organizations that are training therapists who aren't paying attention to these issues? Man, so I feel like therapists who have, <laughs> I hate to call Instagram one of the best organizations, but at least it does really perpetuate awareness. And I find that, um, yes, you know, a lot of the eating disorder organizations are now taking a really good stance and relooking because even them, they have yeah. upheld white body supremacy or di- misunderstood or misrepresented things when it comes to people of color. And we are the global majority, you know, p- people of color. And yeah. so like Hayes, like yeah. Asta, like um, they, they do a lot of work and they have actually started to really change some of the things that they have previously even taught. And that was a big improvement from, you know, other treatments. Mm-hmm. So organization i think it's up to the certifying bodies to really look out for 
those upcoming people and bring in different perspectives. And that just doesn't happen. And it's a whole, you know, wellness industrial complex. Because, <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't. True. Yeah. Because there's so no like, people. people of, sorry. There, I was just going to say, there's no people of, there's no people on of those bodies. On now, those now ASTA has changed and like almost, they have several people of color and of uh, gender identification on there to help, you know? And I think for right. us, like, Black culture in America, there, there's four, we're four, we make up fourteen percent of the population, and and our numbers really are dwindling. You know, <laughs> I remember uh, doing going to hear a talk about you know animals extinct. Well, the next big extinction is the black person because we have become so watered down or mixed with other people. And I'm not speaking against obviously interracial relationships, but we're just not doing it as right. much because of right. the assimilation. And right. Um, yeah. in this country, in America, right? In our, in my country, I know you're in Canada. So we, right. we just, yeah, it's, you know, Same so thing you're here. seeing that and a lot of times issues that affect your culture are just swept under the rug or assume that they don't have the impact that they do. And you talk about your experience with eating. And for me, I didn't have anyone to talk to in my family because hell, we were all binge eaters. And not only were we all binge eaters, we were right. all, it was all so culturally accepted, you know? Um, you know, there's that period yeah. of lean that, you know, black people have traditionally held and then at Christmas or when Massa would give the bonus uh, <laughs> to the families, you know, they get the right. new shoes and right. the clothes. Like that, that, that mentality is so ingrained mm -hmm. into who we are and into our cultural expression. So being able to gather and eat all this food, you know, and being told, oh no, you know, a girl, you better eat that. Put that on them thighs. It's more cushion for the pushing. Or men don't want skinny women. Men, you know, all these other mixed things. And that don't that mm -hmm. only helps us at a at home because then we go out into the world, right? Mm -hmm. We if we're professional, we're in a very Get whitewashed a world, message. very different world where the standard is different. Yeah. And so you're teetering. You're trying to enjoy your culture and be grateful and and proud of it. And at the same time, you're trying to fit mm -hmm. in and get ahead and. And honestly, just even not draw attention to yourself. Some of that dieting or trying to maintain some frame is not for attention. It's to not have the other type of attention, you know? So it's not about, you Agreed. know, I want to be skinny. It's like, I just don't want to be fat so they can stop talking to me about being fat. Or I just don't want to be this. Or I just want to, you know, so that I want to be viewed yeah. as a professional. You know, and the professionals in this field look this way. Right. Like, what the hell is that? And so, you know, uh, you know, as we, as you see now, <laughs> yeah. Dove is trying to help the campaign with natural hair. In in America, a couple of years ago, California actually passed a law um, right before the pandemic shut down that says mm -hmm. that women, black women, cannot be discriminated against because of natural hairstyles. And you know, just right, you have to pass a law for that. And I asked one of my friends. Like, well, I was like, exactly. girl, someone told you you couldn't wear your hair a certain way. Where, what would you think? And she was just like, she couldn't even fathom it. Yeah. She had no answer. Could not understand exactly. how that was happening. And I was just like, that's privilege. Yeah. You know, and there. And for me, that's being yeah. into food justice, there are so many things. Like, I don't know if you saw, but New York just passed a, a law. The city of New York, the mayor, who's vegan. Do you see that? Just passed a law where now yeah. in the public schools, yeah. every Friday is vegan only. And I know that people are like, that's great. Yeah. And I was just like, it's actually not great because that is an elitist point of view. No. There's nothing wrong. If you choose to be vegan, more power to you. But if you look at it from totally. a world to perspective, how many people do you think can actually afford to not eat healthy food 
just because it's animal based. Like what? Right. And demonizing foods, like you're demonizing foods that people might only exactly. have access to those foods. Like we know about food deserts. Yeah, and I thought it was food about, apartheid. Like, like it's not we, a desert because y'all are intentionally right. keeping food from people. <laughs> yeah. Right. And like, and then telling me canned food isn't good for me and I should only fresh be organic eating fresh food. food. Have you, have you gone to the grocery store? Have you gone to the grocery store? For people who have disposable income, fresh produce is available, right? If you can be at the grocery store every three days and spend $50 on fresh produce, great for you, right? But what if you cannot? Stop telling me frozen foods aren't as good as fresh vegetables. Stop telling me canned foods that are canned at the peak of their... their, Stop. Those are affordable choices and there is nothing wrong with those choices. This whole vegan thing, I say good for you if you're vegan, but but we can't be pushing or forcing something that tends to be dogmatic, right? Onto people. If that's not what they want to do. Oh, and... um... And, and la- the ladies who had posted about it, um, eat well, um, that, you know, them, the yes. two black, uh, registered dietitians and they yes. just asked the question. Yes. I'll yes. share their, and they just I'll, asked, I'll share their, uh, I was like, their stuff in the Oh my show gosh. Notes. I got to meet with Diane. I can't really tell you everything I think, but let me just leave this little bit with y'all because I was just like, if that was my kid, oh my gosh, that would be my day. I would work my schedule where I would be at her cafeteria every Friday girl with stuff we probably didn't even normally eat like oxtails and you know what I'm right. saying I was being there well, yeah I just yeah. cuz you're not going to force that and and also the concept that veganism is a more healthy diet or even better for the planet I just think that so much misinformation gets put out there I just can't help yeah. but think of that that yeah. study that really put a bad light on livestock um what was it livestock the long shadow yeah. of livestock or something like that where they com- compare, I'll have to look it up. <clears throat> excuse me, the whole life cycle of cattle or mm-hmm. livestock production to the direct output of emissions by a car. <laughs> so they basically say, ah. you know, everything that it takes to grow the feed, then you have the animal, then you slaughter and process the animal, then you ship the animal. And <clears throat> excuse me, let me drink this. Look, I believe you know, I have my biscuit. Yeah, because they grab it. Take it. Take care of yourself and grab some water. Nice. Okay. And I love it. And I just, even just leaves and water when I'm working out or exercising, it's the best fortify. Anyway, anyway, back to our, we'll come back to our sorrow. Yes. Um, but you know, they, they, they (laughs) gave you the whole picture of the emission process with livestock, which was about back then about 15%. And then they compared it to the direct Mm -hmm, emissions mm -hmm. output of a car and said that's about 4%, which is true. But what they didn't compare was the direct mm-hmm. emissions of cattle to the direct emissions of cars. Or cars were 14%. Mm. And then they said, oh, well, look, cattle for livestock is 15 But the direct emissions of cattle is about 5%. Whereas the direct emissions of transportation, wow. which they all lumped together, was 15%. I was just like, but you right. didn't compare... So. The mining of the coal or the transportation of the gas or yes. the building of the cars or the destruction of the cars when they don't work. You didn't compare the whole transportation life cycle to a whole life cycle. You, right? you and intentionally, the- either intentionally or through ignorance, one Cherry of the other, did not yeah. compare apples to apples. You compared apples to a yacht. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and so you keep when you can't, and so people <laughs> yeah. have latched on to that study. So I mean, oh, if we, if America alone gave up meat, look at the impact. If Americans alone yeah. gave up meat, it would decrease emissions by about two percent. Is that really? But it would increase yeah. nutritional deficiencies, yeah. shorten the lifespan, create health problems by about a hundred and twenty percent. So if you really care about animals. You have to remember that yeah. we are also animals. And so you can't just per- blanket right. perpetuate something that would harm so many. Everybody. Everybody it, it, would harm everybody. <laughs> yeah. I've had many an argument with folks who are in the yoga community who preach. Um, As a way of practicing ahimsa. And saying that they're. Yes. Uh, yes, which is because we overlook the human every time when we practice ahimsa <laughs> and yoga. We overlook the human. Why? You know, if you want to practice ahimsa, why don't you get out there and, and do some social justice work for, you know, historically excluded populations? Like, why, if you really want to do something that's super impactful in the moment, why not apply your ahimsa to that? Why not apply your ahimsa to that? But I said to him, do you think because you're eating vegetables that you don't have an impact on the environment, whether you're eating organic or not? And let's be clear, organic um, vegetables also use pesticides as well. So we are still using pesticides. And when I live in Essex County, which is um, the farm industry, if I just drive down the street 10 minutes, I'm in the middle of a farmland. We grow soy, we grow corn out here, we we grow strawberries. We are the um, greenhouse capital of Canada. So if you go 40 minutes up the street, like if you're standing outside in the, at nighttime, the greenhouses are 40 miles away, but you can see the lights from the greenhouses in wow. my town that are 40 miles away. So that just, yeah, that just goes to show you how many greenhouses we have out in the Leamington Kingsville area. And you can't tell me that that doesn't have an impact on the environment. And when a combine goes over a field and pulls up whatever that combine is pulling up, it's also killing mice and rabbits and squirrels and birds and snakes. So it's not a harmless thing for animals as well like i talk to farmers and they say when that combine goes down it kills everything and the, and the carnage you can even see yep. the vultures flying when they see that combo, yep. combine come out in the field because they know they're about to eat on that organic fed mouth <laughs> right exactly and, and exactly and also and when i te- livestock like you know they also they demonize beef or meat whether it's cattle goat whatever livestock but what they don't talk about how, like you said, this combine farming, farming, that's just put out. Those emissions are just put out. When cows burp or flatulence methane comes out the mouth or the other end, all that stuff is recycled. Yeah. So, and cows trod down the leftover plant and, yeah. and stuff into the soil. So the soil is improved. Cows, the way modern right. farming works, cows graze on non-arable land. They don't graze where crops can be grown. We're not in competition. So we, we, right. and the world, right. the simple fact is we grow food, all foods, especially grains at a surplus. What, what you, we talked about food deserts. Yes. And like I said, food yes. apartheid, all those are political. Hunger is political. Hunger is all about power and distribution. Mm-hmm. There is no reason for any person in this, mm-hmm. on this planet to actually be hungry because we grow foods in surplus. Mm-hmm. It's political. Right. And so, right. and so is this push for veganism. Absolutely. Like, I'm not saying don't be vegan. I'm saying that I recognize the political 
<laughs> machinery mm-hmm. behind the push for veganism. It's those people that make those combines. It's those people that are making those pesticides. It's the people that are in direct competition with with livestock. It's not because it, because it's not based on health. Because meat, the human body, we know evolved to the great form. We are on pro on animal based protein. So you can stop pretending like you're gonna yeah. be the healthiest you yeah. can possibly be. No, and and I think that a lot of people don't actually have any nutrition knowledge. Like they, they just don't. So when you tell right. me, yes, I can get enough protein from plants. You can, you can pay $60 for that 16 ounce canister of pea or a hemp protein and intake the same amount of grams right. of protein, but it's not bio bioavailable in order to get the same, just amount right. of protein. I'd have to eat three times as much if it's all plant-based and then Plant-based proteins right. don't provide all the essential amino acids in the right combination. So there's that. So if you, right. and I tell people all the time, well, I think I'm going to lose weight by being vegan. I said, you actually are going to have to triple your caloric intake. So I don't know what weight loss plan yeah. you think that's going to be, but sit down here and right. eat this bison burger. You might actually feel better. You know, like, <laughs> or, or me, I'm just like, well, girl, yeah. I got these collard greens and some some other chicken yeah. if you want some of that you know but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a whole and i think yeah. they over it, it it that push oversimplifies the issues and it definitely demonizes yes. food food groups and i think that is unhealthy like we just can't continue to have that because when you do that there are certain individuals in our country and around the world that are going to suffer and like you yeah. said people people are going to suffer they're going to have decreased nutrition they're going to have de- decreased choices and it just doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of the food science babe oh, on I love Instagram. Her. I reshare Everybody her loves all the food time. science. She be putting oh, it my to I'd be like, go ahead, sister. <laughs> Girl, I love her. <laughs> exactly. Me too, because she dispels it right away. And my favorite one so far is because I drink a lot of um, non-dairy creamer because sometimes yeah. milk gives me, you know, a lot of digestional problems. So I, I have milk, but I just have a little bit of it. And uh, so I use non-dairy creamer, my coffee. And some guy was in a grocery store hassling some person for buying non-dairy creamer. And he's like, you know, there's no milk in that. And the guy's like, what? There's no milk in this creamer. It's non-dairy creamer, which means it's not going to have milk in it. Like just the stuff, just the fear-based mongering of stuff. It's vegetable oil. It's the third ingredient, vegetable oil. Uh, I cook stuff in vegetable oil all the time you put vegetable oil on your salad you cook your potatoes in vegetable oil you're already consuming vegetable oil and then a couple years ago we were all into this bullet coffee where you were putting coconut oil in your coffee like i just don't get it butter in my coffee i'm gonna tell i still like that it makes it so creamy and and tell me i can't have my butter in my coffee i like it for its taste it just does something to it Girl, I put in that in that blender. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, next level, right? Everything's better with butter, and that's—I mean—that was their marketing, it's but it's true. true. But that it's true. Undisputed truth. It's true. <laughs> you can tolerate it. So, I have a question for you that I ask all my guests. I've um moved away from the term wellness simply because yep. it has been co-opted to mean like what you and I talked about getting a pedicure, getting a manicure, something that is encompassed in white supremacies. A lot of, I, I'm in a lot of spaces that, um, perpetuate and support while well, uh, white women wellness at the exclusion of other folks. So the wellness, 
uh, has become this multi-billion dollar industry that people tap into and people appropriate. And I'm just wondering um, how you see the difference between wellness and well-being. Because I feel I feel like wellness is, you know, has gone down yeah. a garden path and has lost some of its potency and some of its. So I've switched to the term well-being, which is why this is called the Intentional Well-Being Podcast. What for you is the difference between wellness? And so, you know, you're, you're exactly right. Um, it has been co-opted. It's become like that healthism, right? It's like very, um, yeah. Yeah. White body space. Like it's another word, um, that has been co-opted and I definitely am a whole person, you know, provider. Um, I think for me, the difference is that well-being goes beyond these things that we are that are perpetuated by cultural or societal standards. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it well-being encompasses those natural holistic dimensions, right? I think that wellness and you, and mm -hmm. you always see it either health and wellness or fitness and wellness. And so it has a more narrow scope, right? I think right. that, um, yeah, that, yeah to yeah. me, that's the biggest difference difference in those in those terms and i definitely am for your well-being i think that well-being because we are all our beings and i want your complete whole being to be well right and that encompasses every dimension yeah. of your life so um i yeah, yeah. yes and it, that has been something that has been on my mind to maybe shift to um well-being because it is yeah. i want you to be well like that's what i want i don't wellness all and aspects, in all aspects right? We want to talk about mental health, spiritual health, physical health. We want to be able to have healthy relationships. I want and you to be creative. I feel creative. like well I want your environment to be well. Like I want exactly. all of it to be good. <laughs> all of it. I want you to, I want, I, to me, that is human True. liberation to be able to be in, in yeah. community with your body. You said something about, um, the, the work that you do around body image, because often, you know, we start talking about food and food is often linked right to body image. A lot of conversations that I have with my groups and I do a, a class at the high school for the, the students of the dysphoria. And we talk about whatever's going on in the world. And these are all kids of color and I'm here to empower them and here to have them, like you said, learn to trust their bodies again. Right. And one of the things I've been saying now for years is that your body is generations hundreds of years of ancestry, right? Like everything and all the strength and all the things that your, your ancestors went through to create this perfect container that is custom to you. All of it is custom to you, whether, whether the size reflects what is going on in modern culture or not, this is a customized gift that you were given a, a, an extension of your divine self. It is much more deserving of your care and your respect than it is of your criticism. And I find that once I start thinking about the ancestry that makes up my DNA, that makes up my body and respecting that lineage, I'm less likely mm -hmm. to buy into the bullshit that's given to me by modern culture telling me I need to change or telling me this, that, or the other thing, or measuring my height and right. dividing it by my weight and somehow determining my health based on some bullshit measuring you know. index. Yeah. 
right? Like for, for whatever reasons. And once I, once I tap back into my ancestry and I know where I come from, I'm less likely to be swayed by the But our ancestry has been stripped of us. That is one of our complete areas of victimization. Right. So especially in America, like if you yep. didn't come from a country that maybe was liberated from slavery sooner and you can track back your lineage, you're yep. a complete victim. Like you have no idea other than, yeah. you know, in a general sense, right? You can't specifically like those ancestry.com right, 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 right. commercials just, they piss me off no end. Like, like, I'm just like, right, good for you that you could trace your heritage back 600 years to that little fishing village in Norway. Good for you. You know, so, right. but yes, I think that's yeah. a lovely thought and it's critical because it is a shift. It And and I don't go as deep as that mm-hmm. typically, but I really like that. And I may, may start thinking of it that way because I do talk about looking yeah. at how your body has served you. Like what it, what it actually has mm-hmm. done for you lately, you know, and despite your criticism or fighting mm-hmm. against it, it still holds you down. <laughs> it, it, it does. It, it shows still shows up, up no, no matter, matter what. what. It's time for you to show up for it. And, you know, Agreed. and I feel like that, that what you speak to is something that I just had a talk with, with white dietitians and nutritionists at another conference was when we talk about those generational um, heritage, our DNA, right? Like you said, hundreds of years in the making to mm-hmm. be just right for you right now, right? And I said, they love to tell in us, moment, white yeah. people, love to tell us about generational trauma. Oh, you know, the black people and the generational trauma. But y'all forget that y'all have generational DNA also. So when we want to talk about hatred totally. <laughs> or the predis- predisposition for white supremacy, remember that's in your DNA too. So that's why we still ain't had the progress that we've had because on some level, your DNA balks. You feel like equity is a pie. You feel like if I get more of it, somehow you're going to get less. Mm -hmm. Like your DNA also has that generational memory (laughs) and it shows up in your body as well. And I think that coming, all of us coming to grips with, honestly, my belief is that literally we're all reflections of the universe, each and every one of us. We're just one yes. of an infinitesimal expression of everything that the universe has to offer. Mm-hmm. And when we can see that we're all expressions, mm-hmm. then we can see how we're reflected in each other. And it just doesn't make any sense <laughs> to be working against right. another member of humankind. Like it just doesn't. But we I have agree. to get to a place that not all of us are vibrating on that frequency. And I'm hoping at some point it might happen because I really believe it's going to be the end of humanity Girl, if we don't get on. Ride the wave, ride that frequency wave. No, seriously, <laughs> you're exactly right. It really will be yeah. because somebody's yeah. going to be mad enough yeah. or you know stubborn enough to do something that's really going to put us in a yeah. in a spiral that we're not going to be able to get out of. You'll be able to get out of. It's going to happen. We need to start looking at other um, our community as a collective. And less like uh, less about individualism. I just had this conversation with a fellow yoga teacher this morning, as we were leaving um, the yoga space, that we need to be in community with each other. And in order for that to happen, we have to be truthful about history, right? We have to be truthful about how society has been set up to favor others and to disparage others. We have to be truthful about that, and we have to give our children and that next generation the tools 
to right the ship and not telling them about the past because you're afraid their feelings are going to be hurt. It's not going to hurt their feelings. It's going to force them to grow to be better people. And that is why they were given to us in the first place. We're supposed to make them good people. And we, if, if we haven't learned anything at all from this pandemic is that we need each other. We need each other. And if we don't start behaving like our humanity is connected it's going to be the end of all of us. Nobody wins. In a white supremacist society that we all participate in, nobody wins because we all buy into the big lie. And it's time to unpack that, understand it, and so move So you on. just mentioned that, and that and was I one of the say- quotes that I shared with, in my, in my, I teach a dance fitness class. So like, that is my joyful movement, and we like nice. to take it to old school hip hop. I love it. And it's Black History Month. Yes. And so oh, I told him, I said, today's please. quote is just that. It was one from James Baldwin. And it said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And what you just spoke, that, and, and yes. I mean, look at our prophets and our historians and our elders have been saying this for decades, for centuries, and hundreds Ever, of hundreds years. Of and years. that's why I was telling them, yeah. and my class is mostly yeah. white people, and I told them, I said, and the, y'all have to look at y'all too, because that's where the change is stopping. Like, these yeah. few idiots that are waving MAGA flags and stuff, they're really not the problem. It's this middle ground of white people right. that rather have order or calm right. or a, a semblance of peace than to actually rock the boat and yeah. make the changes. I said, it's not, it's not, that's how it is. Martin Luther King told you about it. <laughs> yes. yes. The letters from Robert a Birmingham jail. Told you about about it. About I'm that. telling you yep. about it. It's y'all, it's up to y'all. Mm-hmm. Y'all in, in Austin where I am, it's very liberal on the outside, but I tell people it's the most polite racist city you'll ever live in because they don't. You are about the fifth person that tell me about this Believe week. it <laughs> because. They don't want anything yeah. to be really changed. And it's, you know, they're, they're for mm. you as long as what you do doesn't affect them, you know? And so that, and so uh, blacks, and when I first yeah. moved back to Austin in the nineties, we were 13% of the population here. We're about 5% now. That's how uncomfortable wow. it is here. Wow. Yeah. Texas scares the crap out of me because Texas rewrites um, history. Texas rewrites history books. Texas passes Texas laws and Florida. to, you know, keep women from owning their Texas, bodies. Texas yeah. and Florida. Yeah. Texas that is dirty a- South. It gives a whole yeah. new meaning to that dirty yeah. South. Yeah, it scares me. Um, my husband brings it up at least once a week. You know what they're doing in Texas? I go, please don't tell me. We are all the way over here in Canada, but it affects us. It affects it us does. globally. That's the community. Because the stuff leaks out yes. into other places. It just, we have to do the right thing. I could talk to you all day. We're coming up on an hour. This has been the best. I'm so glad, Leslie, that we made I friends over Instagram. Too, and I'm glad that we finally had a chance to connect. And thank you for inviting me and 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 your un, unwavering you know dedication to spotlighting us all the time not just during black history month it's important it's important and i say that to folks you know what we get one month out of the year and the reason it's the shortest month is yes. because frederick D- douglas was born in this month and right. a lot and of other freedom folks day were born the this emancipation month proclamation had... was on J- february 1st people always say it's a short month but it, it obviously right. has nothing it actually doesn't have anything to do with that it has nothing to do with pettiness that we think is like, it's so petty. They give us the shortest month of the year. It has a lot of historical significance, but it's important to be platforming and lifting up uh, 
voices of color and black people in particular, because we suffer a lot of anti-black uh, racism, elevating those seats. And I look at my, um, my Instagram page as a community page. I am not that interesting. Leslie, I am not that interesting to be posting pictures right. of myself all day. People would be bored. I said this to my friend yesterday. I'm not that interesting. Plus, I want to platform the work of other people who are doing great work, especially we want to create like a collective. So if you're a black or brown person out in the world feeling like you're not represented, I want to show you that you are, that you have folks out here that can help you out and who know your perspective. Because for so long, this yeah, has not been the case. And I think well, you know, wellness and well-being has very much been a, a pursuit of whiteness and it's important for us now to diversify, especially since we bring a lot of our indigenous practices into the space that have been commodified and have been appropriated by white wellness seekers. And it's important but that the we thing that, that you're doing and I honor think what's is the most significant well-being practice of black women. And that's the sister circle. So I, I applaud you for maintaining that tradition because without sister circles, women just being able to gather and take care of each other, where would we be? <laughs> because that has been a historical True. True. thing for us through throughout time. I mean, there's lots of documentations for at least the last 250 years of how, and if you go back to Africa, they still do it. Um, so, so yes, that, exactly. that is a, that is a tradition that we have and that we need to step fully into it and, and keep it elevated as that place for us to care for one another. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Leslie, you are an absolute joy. And I'm going to be linking to all the places that you can find Leslie in the world if you want to connect with her, especially if you're in Austin, Texas, you can have an upfront and personal experience. But we are now in the interweb. So you can always have a Zoom call or a conversation online, right? She is a global presence. What do you got coming up? And what would you like to share with our audience that they should know about your work or where they can find you? And I will link to it on the show. Um, well. What I'm actually working on right now is launching a group coaching program for black women or, and women of color to really look at embracing our cultural foods from a mindful perspective, just, just to tap into that. Just I'm, I'm weight neutral. I'm not going to be talking about in, you know, here's the collard green diet. That's not what I'm about. I really am about creating community so that you can feel supported in your life's journey. So, and like you said, that is one of the key components of well-being is being able to have those people that you know can boost you up and lift you up and support you. So that is what I have. And that, that will actually launch in March. So I am, uh, I'll actually be adding Wonderful. it to my Instagram uh, bio link. So you will have all the juicy details that you can sop up with biscuits if you like. Um <laughs> And butter. And yes, butter. I am a Southern girl, so it always comes with the side of sassy Southerners. Yes, so yes, please get your biscuits ready. It will be a group thing that you can sop up and, and enjoy. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to sing, Leslie is biscuit. <laughs> Have you heard that one? Yes, Jesus Leslie is, is biscuit. a biscuit. Like you said, with butter, baby. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much, Leslie, for being part of the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. Check out Leslie Jordan Garcia on Instagram. I will link to everywhere you can find her in the show notes. It has been an absolute pleasure to be in community with you. I want to thank you for being in community with me. I'm glad that we got to meet in person. And I'm going to continue following Same. you on the interwebs because you are doing the thing Same, and we need mom. you in this community. Thank you for stepping up and stepping thank out. You for having thank me. you so much.
Hello, everyone. I just want to thank you so very much for being part of my podcast community here and listening to the people I love to talk to and being part of the world that celebrates diversity, equity, and inclusion here on the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast, where we're going to dive into some deep topics. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go over to Apple Podcasts and rate it, give it a thumbs up, like it, share it, comment. It really helps this podcast out. And I want to platform folks who don't ordinarily get platform and share the stories of so many of us in the world of wellness and well-being. I want to thank you so much. You can find this podcast anywhere where podcasts are broadcast. And you can always contact me through my Instagram pages at Diane Bondi Yoga Official, or you can shout out to me at Diane at DianeBondiYoga.com. Thanks so much for being part of my community and I'll catch you next time.